Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. How are you? So, uh, it's Sunday. (laughs) Uh, No, no, no. It's Monday. Um, Monday. Yeah, it's Monday. or Wednesday, or Tuesday, or whenever the hell this episode comes out. <laughs> uh, check your calendars. Check your local listings. Um, so I understand you're going to see the Avengers tonight. I am. Uh, I'm going to go see um, the Avengers at 10 p.m. Um, on Monday or Wednesday or whatever this. Whatever it is, yeah. Whatever the hell this silly episode's uh, airing. Um, so I was sitting around. Uh, my wife and I were talking about going to see it today, and I'm going. There's no way you're even gonna be able to get near a theater, like, and and from what I understand, it's all sold out. So I spent, I spent 25 minutes going through theaters, um, where you could pick your seat because I am not yeah. going. Right, you're not gonna have shit seats without like, a pre-assigned seat. So yeah, I I went through the pre-assigned seats. I'm seeing this. I I got to work in the morning. I'm seeing this at 10 o'clock tonight. <laughs> you're gonna need a lot of coffee in the morning. Oh, I'm telling you. Death Wish coffee, everybody. Death Wish. Um, if you're going to drink coffee, drink Death Wish, which is what I'll be drinking. Thank God. Um, somebody posted in the Helix group this morning, and this is kind of coffee-related, I guess. Somebody posted in the Helix group this morning um, that they... Oh, it was a picture of Neil Sean's rig, right? And they were talking about, like, oh, my gosh, look at all the stuff he has. Because he, he had an insane rig, uh, I guess, on this tour that they posted the picture from. And I was just kind of laughing because I'm like, well, you know, oh, he used this and this in the past. And that's what all these people are saying. And I said, you know, finally, I was like, I don't think the amps matter at all with him. I think it's just the amount of cocaine he's on. <laughs> so anyway, moving on. Uh, cocaine, keep you awake. Yeah. Proving marching powder, that whole thing. Anyway, moving on. Um, so we introduced each other. We usually do this thing in the beginning. It's called housekeeping. We got to do some housekeeping. Yeah, so if you're listening regularly, join the Practical Guitars Facebook group. Uh, we also have the Practical Guitars Facebook page, which you can – the group is linked to the page. So if you get to the page, you can get the group and vice versa. Um, you can always review us on iTunes, uh, Google Play Store, Stitcher, wherever else your podcasts are coming from. Um, and if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so directly at the Practical Guitars Podcast at gmail.com. That is so, correct. And I guess we're going to have uh... – New email addresses, right? Yeah, we're we're already working on that. I have well, I mean, I had the domain a while ago. I just I haven't got around to setting things up. Yeah. Um, I the plan is to eventually put up a website, but right. um, I'm lazy and I'm building another website for somebody else. Where so. you'll see stills and um, interesting uh, outtakes. Ar- yeah, articles, outtakes, yeah. all kinds of fun stuff. Um, so I've been on this journey, right? Uh, been somebody somebody mentioned to me the other day. It's like, do you remember the Fender Cyber Twins? And yeah. I remembered them because so, so the Cyber Twin came out right around the time I was start first starting to play guitar, and I can remember because you know that was what I think they came out like two thousand one, was a while ago. Um, and I can remember seeing pictures of these things in the back of magazines with the little green like LED screen and stuff on it, and just being like, that's so cool! Like I can't even imagine an amp that had like a digital readout on it, you know. 
Lo, lo and behold, where are we at now? We got full color touchscreens on modelers and all this kind of craziness. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But but oh but that, no, the cool thing about CyberTwin was it had the uh, the rotary knobs that were motor yep. motor controlled. Yep. Um, but anyway. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And when you you could go to your presets. And, and it would change of it all the displaying knobs. Displaying the knobs, it would move the knobs in the position. Yeah, yeah, that was a big deal, a big part of the whole thing. So they actually came out with two of these things. They had the uh, the Cyber Twin and the Cyber Twin SE, and I think the SE actually was just like more presets, more effects. Uh, it wasn't really like an upgrading in the upgrading the technology. Now they build this thing, they, and, and it was so I funny. I think the cool. SE stood for Studio Edition. Is that what it was? I think so, because you didn't need it for live use. So a lot of that stuff was. You didn't need all that. You know what I mean, yeah, it, I mean, it could have been. I, I, I don't know the, the whole history of the thing because um, I wasn't really all that immersed in that technology at that point. But what was really funny was um, I was watching these old videos on YouTube of these guys talking about the um, the way that the amp works. And they, oh, well, you know, other companies are modeling and they want to emulate what already exists. And they're like, well, we, we could do that, but we decided to be industry leaders. And so our our amplifier reconfigures itself so that it provides other sounds using the existing components. And so we have the circuitry from like 40 amps in there that we, that we can reconfigure as needed to support the tubes. Well, and then they, they make out, they make it and actually, even their official video, they make it sound like it has power tubes in it. There's no power tubes. It's, power no, it's, a, it's, it's not a power transformer. It's, it's, it's solid state, just like everything else. Yeah. It was just a pair of 12 X sevens and, yeah. and who knows how they were being Pre-amp used. Tubes. In, Right. They were just preamps. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that power amp tubes and preamp tubes, that they can't change the signal. Like, obviously they can if they're running at the right voltages and stuff. But the thing is, uh, I think the conventional wisdom today is actually kind of gone the other way, which Fender has done in some of their own damp designs, whereas they have a solid-state front end, digital front end, with a tube power amp. Because the tube power amp gives you gives you the punch and the loudness in addition to the warmth that you don't generally get out of using a 12AX7 in the pre. Uh, if you don't believe me, go try out the Vox, uh, was it the AV series, the, the current modelers they make. They have one 12AX7 in them. It's, it's configurable. So, You'll see. <laughs> so in the, um, uh, in the um, and my fingers are going waving like way back in the beginnings of the internet, yeah. when people started talking about the reason tubes, um, full tube amps, uh, were better than their um, solid-state brethren is because even if you had, like, um, solid-state in power circuit, was that there's a push and pull between the tube, the power tube. So you right. have the preamp tubes, the power tubes, and the draw is what pushes and pulls um, and changes the characteristics of the tubes. Well... Now, Knowing only uh, now, I've only got. I will let you guys know. I only have um, background in tubes when applied to radiation and um, radiography, um, and and uh, radar. <clears throat> so I know that the way a tube works um, and and push and pull, say a transmitter and receiver, um, I can see the logic behind it. Um, of course, we're talking about. Instead of nineteen thousand volts or twenty thousand volts, you're talking about hundred volts. Yeah. Well, my understanding is, at least in high end audio equipment, um, the reason that tubes are desirable, and they, they, there's a lot of voodoo that surrounds this, but essentially, 
what you're what you get out of a good set of power amp tubes is they don't so when you clip a solid state circuit you get this square wave that happens because it just chops off that's correct right? because that's i mean solid state that's where it, way it would work so if you look right. at an oscilloscope that's what you see so on a, on a tube amp that's not what happens it no. it increases and that that curve gets gets lower and lower and it compresses but it doesn't it doesn't cut it off so they say you got a smooth transition but it does from, compress the the signal so as we move up right like okay so <clears throat> it's important to understand how the and you and i know both know this but just for our listeners how the wave looks so the wave as it as it goes up and it contours um the top of the wave what dave is saying is that it's it's more angular yeah, it's a, the, it's a ninety degree angle, right? And so, in a solid state, you're cu- talking about a complete cutoff, and everything is is clipped. That's the ninety that's, degree, by the way. Right. Yeah, that's they're calling clipping. You have you have no more room to go up. Where right. in a solid, um, in a in a sorry, in a tube, you're going to have um, everything get compressed and pulled to a point where it maintains a nice even sine wave. Picture. Those who don't know what a sine wave is, picture um, a wave in the ocean, nice yeah. rounded edge. Right. Okay. But just like the ocean, when you watch an ebb and flow, if you're standing at the beach, okay, it's very similar in that look. In that, as waves crash together, you get a you get a big round wave, um, and that's what happens too. Right. If I'm right. I'm trying to explain it in a in a way that, that the lame person can kind of get that. right so this happens in, with all tubes in the in an amplifier circuit that's kind of the desired function so your your preamp tubes in some circuits especially modern ones with a lot of gain are typically the ones that you clip a lot and provide a lot of the compression to the circuit and then the power amp tubes in those kinds of circuits are generally run very cleanly and they're made so that they don't distort Okay, so this this process we're talking about this this clipping process is actually is actually the distortion process. Okay, so in a tube amp, distortion is very smooth because it doesn't have those jagged angular edges. And so in a solid state amp, you're going to have those jagged angular edges as you get to the the higher limits of it. So the reason why I said I think people have kind of changed their opinion in, in terms of amplifier design, opting to use power tubes for for uh, volume and loudness is because number one, since they compress, they don't clip, so you get more that the volume can actually expand more. So you do, so you do get a, a perceived loudness that's that's greater coming out of that design. The other thing is it can handle power fluctuations. So if you if you shock the system with bad voltage or whatever, the tube can handle that. It, it, in some case, in, well, in most cases, it's going to be more robust than a solid state circuit, which would just burn out. Right, depending on whether you're using a pentode and ti- or triode and. How you're how you're biasing that? Yeah, so I mean, this is just this is just two basics. But the whole idea behind what I was saying was that Fender now, even some of their later designs, like the Super Champ XD, uh, the Vibro Champ XD, they they put a, a a tube power section and made it to a digital front end. And those amps are actually pretty successful, in my opinion, of being good modelers. Um, I had uh, I had a Super Champ XD for a while. Uh, I don't miss it. It did a really good job at those like cleaner tones and then clean on the the edge of breakup once you start to you know really push it it got kind of unconvincing but if you were looking for like basically fender dirt which is you know kind of on the edge of dirt really 
uh, yeah, that they, they're great for that for that kind of stuff. One thing I can say about so <clears throat> for Fender amps for me personally, I never found Fender Fender to be great at dirt. No, now, I, I think that now that's where Marshall and Mesa and amp companies like that do it better. Um, is the dirt now? That said, I had a, um, a Fender Deville. I could crank. I could throw the game up. I could crank the crap out of that thing, and guess what? It was as clean as a whistle. I could play yeah. as loud as I wanted, and that thing rarely, you know, it, it clipped. But I really had to push it upwards of eight and above. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they're known for that. Yeah. Um. So my take on Fender's distortion sounds, I I don't think they really found their legs in that. And you got to kind of look back. That's at what their hip. everybody that I I hear talk about their their distortion is you know it farts. Well, farting going on. Now there are there are specific ones. That's why people like the basement and they like right. They ones. do have a pedigree for certain good aggressive sounds. Correct, but, but not the true. That's distortion. rarely what people think of. That's rarely what people think of when they think Fender. Right. Uh, well, no, Jim. I mean, they did the, they did the super uh, the uh, the super champ. They well, no, actually, we could get into that. So let's talk about you know the Silverface era. Obviously, that's where they got yep. their you know clean, clean, clean. Uh, Let's just get loud as shit thing. And actually, the Silverface era was largely a flop. I mean, in the beginning, they sold a lot of them, but by the mid '80s, when they really hadn't revamped the line, that was in the that was during yeah. CBS years. They were struggling, yeah. and it took somebody like Paul Rivera of Rivera Amplification, who consulted for them, to pull them out of the out of the shit, really. Yeah. And so he came in and he had these ideas, like, all right. I, I I think he just come off a stint for consulting for Mesa, and he came off he came and he worked for for Fender, and it was like. What are you guys doing? Like, just put a boost here and, you know, control the circuit this way. And then now suddenly you have a usable game channel. And uh, I know a lot of guys that really, really love that Super Champ, the original Super Champ, because it, well, for one thing, they had EVs in them. Number two was uh, it used a really unique tube complement and it gave you overdriven sounds, which no Fender Amp did. Really, at that point, not the common ones. I mean, you find the basement, of course, that did um, the old deluxes. Basically, I think for the tweed era was what people were looking for for like Fender aggression. But as far as the blackface amps and stuff were concerned, um, it was really a whole other animal. I mean, you weren't gonna you weren't gonna get your deluxe reverb and then crank it to ten and get a sound that you really liked, especially not for the genres of music that were popular back then. Now it's changing. I mean, I think people are more into like gritty, aggressive, nasty tones, and so they can get away with that kind of stuff. Well, if you look back then, I mean, we had, even in guitars, whether you're talking guitars, you're talking whatever, for the most part. I'm not saying there weren't the aggressive Strat players. There were. Every oh, time yeah. you say there wasn't a, you know, someone. No, there always were, Hendrix, but, but, they were the minor- but they were the minority, you know right. what I mean? Like, so. Right. I mean, especially in that 70s period, or that, you tell, or that you late tell 80s a metal period. player, yeah, you tell a metal player that Strats weren't metal, and they throw um, uh, Iron Maiden in your face. So, yeah. You know, there is there is that pedigree. I'm just saying, for the most part, Fenders are well known for their clean tones. Sure, absolutely agree. Uh, I just think that they like with an amp like the Cyber Twin, and I think that's probably what hurt them was the fact that they were seen as being this clean thing. Like nobody could look at the Cyber Twin seriously and go, you know, this is this is uh, this is the you know. Modeling amp for everybody, even though Fender didn't want to call it a modeling amp. If no. you watch the old footage, 
of them doing like the the uh, tech talks. They're like, no, it's a cyber imp, right? Because it, it or it's a, no one they call it um, uh, cybertronic or something like that. Okay. But it's just funny because even they like slip up during their conversations and call it a modeling amp. Because that's what it was. Yeah. Like you can you can pretend all day long. You can model with tubes. You can model with solid yeah. state. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think Wampler's doing? I mean, he makes these these amp in a box pedals that are basically just using Mod- solid state circuitry to emulate. Yeah. And the truth is that that we've just moved the modeling technology to the floor. Yeah, we we have. Uh, and and actually, I think for a lot of people, it makes more sense to do it that way it because. Does. It's more, uh, it's more modular. You yeah. know, you're not just throwing away an amp every five years and get a new one. Like it's more, Absolutely. I just get the new model, or I could keep the same power platform. I mean, and the, and the the truth is, I mean, you know, when you look at if you look at pedals, let's talk about pedals and amps that are good with pedals, right? You're the the better that your amp can represent what's coming from the pedal into it. Whether that's into the front end or into the effects send return, that means it it takes the pedal well, <clears throat> but more importantly, um, it also means that the representation means it's a better amp for my pedal platform. So we call a pedal platform amp. And let's look at Fender makes great pedal platform. Yeah, they do. Um, I think it has a lot to do. So. Fender makes great pedal platforms. I'm going to say this with the air quotes um, yep. because I have I, I have not really had a lot of success with um, what people would normally consider to be their great pedal platform amps. Uh, I had had a Princeton, uh, which that was the one that I was like, "What are you guys thinking?" Because it just it, it it had so much high end in and actually like peaking around i would say nine thousand hertz and it just i was ear splitting to run an overdrive into it It was ridiculous um it's part of the reason why i got rid of it because i couldn't i couldn't get it to run smoothly um so there was that i i would say the hot rod deluxe is probably is probably the best pedal platform amp that they have right now maybe other than like a fender twin or something like that but loud and clean so. Yeah, I, um, so my DeVille, um, the, the only problem I had with it was using its distortion, it farted out like, like, sounded like, you know, an old person with walking farts. The, Jim, Jim, it's okay, you can say it, it sounded like a fuzz. It, it, it was terrible. Oh, I don't, okay, well, let, it, are we at a point where we can go over to fuzzes? Yeah, we can talk about fuzz here in a second. Okay. Um, let's, yeah, let's, let's, complete, do let's, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. I hate fuzz. We pedals. talked enough about Fender. Yeah. Let's, yeah, Jim hates fuzz pedals. We know this. We've talked about this, Jim. And, and you, need so, some, you need some fuzz therapy is what you need. I do. I, I I know there are people out there who absolutely love their fuzz pedals. I'm not one of them. Okay, so I'm a fuzz guy. Uh, yeah. Jim and I could not be further diametrically opposed on this thing than, than uh, this is the issue that would polarize us. Um, I hope that someday <laughs> I, can, I can convert Jim to the Church of Fuzz. Uh, I hope I can do it in such a way that he doesn't feel like he's playing a fuzz. So that he just hits this pedal that's on the floor, and I'm like, hey, Jim, check this out. And he hits it, and then he plays for me, and he's like, oh, that's really good. And I said, that's a fuzz. So there's that, a, That's what I'm hoping. The way this discussion started, folks, was a few days ago, oh, I reached out to, uh, I'm reached gonna out embarrass to Dave, you. and it's still there. 
So there was a there there's a Pelotar. I'm thinking about buying it. I might I, I if I'm gonna start with a fuzz, why not start with a good one, right? So well you know, I, I was looking at this Pelotar, it's 139 bucks. To me that's cheap. That's so, that's a cheap fuzz. No, and that's the yeah. that the thing about fuzz is it is the one effect that it does matter who builds it. Uh, it, I know people are like, oh, well, I want to get it from this boutique builder or whatever. L- listen, th- this matters with fuzz because every transistor is different, and these guys, everybody has a different philosophy about how they're putting them together. So that's the, uh, more so than any other electronic device because you're dealing with parts that are 60 years old in some cases when they're building these things. It does matter who you're buying from because they do have an ear for it. Right. And so you've got people like uh, what is it, Leon at uh, Pelican Noise? Leon Works. Pelican Noise Works. There's <laughs> a ton got, of guys. You've got Mike at um, uh, Analog Mike. Yeah, Analog Mike, man. Yep. Um, let's see who else is a great fuzz builder. Uh, Jimmy yeah. Hendrix. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Mayer. Yeah, uh, he definitely needs to definitely needs a note in there. I mean, but there's tons of people like. Uh, and a lot of them are just they 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 brand as companies, so I don't exactly know the people that are behind them. But I mean, it's it's a devastatingly long list of people right. that are are have a different design philosophy. So about so building for puzzles. for the listeners out there, because I I really couldn't I could just sit and read the text you sent me. Um, when you're talking about fuzz and you're looking for certain sounds. As you were saying to me, uh, if you want a fuzz that does this, you want it to. They're do all di- they're all different. It's almost a subgenre right. to itself of effect. So so what would you let's let's start with the with one of the the let's start with fuzz face. If someone was to say, Dave, should I buy a fuzz face? What would you all say? Right. This is why you would get a fuzz face. I would say I I, I want to kind of back this up because I I think I even have a better a better thing. Let's let's so fuzzes have evolved over time. And if you understand what fuzzes came from, then you can understand why you would want to design from a particular time period. And then that helps you better select what you're looking for. So uh, to start off with, the first use of fuzz that I can think of is uh, Satisfaction. Obviously, that's not the first use of fuzz on record. Um, he, he That was a store-bought fuzz, in fact. Uh, and it was designed to emulate the sound of a saxophone. Okay? So if you can picture that, and yeah, I'm sure you know what satisfaction sounds like. If you don't, go on, you know, whatever music thing and listen to it. You'll hear it, and you'll go, "Oh, okay, I get it," because it was supposed to emulate that on the track originally. That was the reason that they were using fuzz on that track, and then they end up leaving it alone because they like the sound of the guitar that way. A lot of your first fuzzes were built around that design philosophy, or they were built around the design philosophy of emulating a guitar plugged directly into a mixer and cranked up and distorting. Okay. So those are not pleasant sounds. Fuzz ne- that was never supposed to be a pleasant sound. Uh, speed up, you've got, so you go through your early stuff, which is like, uh, I'm trying to think what uh, what kind of circuits this would all be. Uh, the, oh, shoot. Now I'm going to shoot so myself because I should give know an, this. Give an example here, Dave. If I was to look for that early fuzz sound, that satisfaction sound, <laughs> what, <clears throat> what kind of fuzz would I be like after? A, like, a, like a Gibson Maestro fuzz? That's what I was thinking of. It's it's a maestro fuzz, um, and then later on you're going to find things that are derivative of that, like a tone bender Mark One, um, and then that's when you get to the period that had the fuzz face in it, because there was this big fuzz explosion right there at you know right after that period, because everybody wanted to use them, and uh, so you'll find your fuzz faces in there, your um, tone bender Mark Twos, 
your um what else is in that the whole period of stuff uh the fox tone machine some of these are very rare too by the way and they're very very expensive if you were to buy an original vintage but a lot of these are you can find a repro or somebody's building clones of them right Um, that's why i'm trying to get to i'm i'm you know joe kid and i want to buy a fuzz pedal i want to do something with fuzz um and that's where i I probably got a hundred to 150 dollars if i'm buying a decent fuzz pedal what am I looking for in that 100 to 150 category that's going to give me the sound I want? But you're, you know, so let's say I'm going to do satisfaction. Would I buy a fuzz face? Would I buy no. a big muff? Would I buy? No. A- You'd be looking for clones of a Maestro fuzz. That would be that would be the place to start. And then maybe you could probably get all the way to a fuzz face looking for that sound. Okay. Um, okay. And and what you're going to look for is you know a higher gain version of those fuzzes typically. Uh, because again, these fuzz pedals were not built to to very good spec. So some of them had higher gain transistors than others, and so because of that, some are good and some suck. You probably, if you haven't heard the story, you're going to hear it now. Lots of guys in the '70s when they wanted a fuzz face, they go pay their local mom and pop, and they would sit in a room with thirty or forty of them that they had off the truck, and they would find the one they wanted. Um, so that's I, that's kind of the way it was. Uh, there's a lot of shitty old fuzz faces around. Um, so these are all the, all these fuzzes basically are are mostly germanium technology. Uh, there's caveats and issues there too. Uh, you probably know of guitarists who've used them. The thing is, they are finicky as hell. The temperature variation, uh, vibration, all kinds of things can make these circuits not work properly. So the whole thing is, it's about control. A lot of guys will have ten or twelve of them in a room, and when they start to play a gig. They'll come do their sound check and they'll find the one that sounds best that night and so hope to God that it works. So in the um, in the beginning, so in the, in the early days of fuzz, there was a transistor with a with a um, a thing called germanium. Germanium yeah, was that's what, just the, the material that the transistor was made right, out of. That's the silicon that the transistor was based on. Right. Not so later like on, today's. you had silicon. Right. Yeah. We have silicon. So in the early days, we had germanium rather than silicon. Those things were prone not only to vibration, temperature, right? Temperature, wildly. In fact, the germaniums I used to have, I used to throw them in the freezer before I'd use them because that was the only way I could get them to sound consistent. It wasn't that they sounded better or worse. It was just I knew what I could expect from them. And there were were engineers that would would have to temperate. In other words, you had to, um, just like you would an animal, you would have to bring that thing in and just kind of set it down, let it get to the room temperature. Whatever the room temperature was, that's where you had to be to play that. I have known people who have played them in coolers on stage. They put them in a cooler and they just leave it on, and then they you know use a switcher to switch it on and off. Um, Again, if you're getting into fuzz for the first time, that's not what you want. Okay, that is for the guy that has like ten fuzzes and wants something different. Um, What? So that was the the early period. And then the 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 I would consider the adolescent period would be like the fuzz face era, and then at the end of the fuzz face era, you had the muff, and the muff is the modern period all the way till today. So we're talking like 1973 or whatever when it, when the muff came out to today is the modern period, okay? And that's because um, yes, there are different ways of doing fuzz now, but fuzz got a lot more controlled in that period, especially with the the advent of the muff. The muff did not sound like, I and I know people will fight me on this, it does not sound like a vintage fuzz to me. 
It does not sound broken. That, that's that's a key component. It does not sound washed out. It does not sound uh, overcompressed. Well, I, I don't want to say overcompressed because it is highly compressed. It doesn't sound squashed. It, it, it When you play a fuzz face, it sounds like the notes are splatting sometimes. Almost Velcro-like. I've heard that said as well. Um, the a, a working, operating, properly built, decent muff sounds very controlled. Think the difference between David Gilmore and Jimi Hendrix. Okay? Vintage fuzz, you're going to get those Jimi Hendrix tones in spades. Right? Big muff, you're going to get... Uh, I'm trying to think like like time, the solo from from time from Pink Floyd. That's kind of that song. Even though David Gilmore actually used a fuss face to do that, the sounds that he got were more akin to the big muff. And so that's what I'm trying to say. Right. It's like more in control. But Gilmore might have gone. We don't know for a fact, but Gilmore might have gone from the fuss face into the board. I know one of his most famous solos, "Not a Brick in the Wall." Um, he was plugged Les Paul directly to the board. A lot of a lot. I can tell you a lot of his sounds, his clean sounds, are done that way. But I can almost guarantee you that he did not use fuzz into the board. That would have sounded horrendous. Um, you would have known because <laughs> I have done it <laughs> many a time. Yeah, he, actually, he's known for layering stuff too and yeah, duplicating well, himself. I'm just saying that I don't think EQ would be enough to fix that, and I don't think doubling would be enough to fix that. Probably not. <laughs> no, because it would be it would honestly sound like ripping paper. That's that's basically what running a running a loud ass fuzz uh, is particularly a fuzz face into a board sounds like it's like ripping paper, um, so uh, very thin sheets of paper you know like like ripping Bible pages okay, um, so I don't know I yes he could have I I think it was probably more like more than likely that he was using a cab more as like a filter mechanism to take off some of that high end, um, yeah uh, so. If we're talking about fuzz, fuzz is not everybody's thing. I, I I totally get it, Jim. I'm not. I don't. I don't have any problem with you not liking fuzz. Like that's your your prerogative. I I joke about it, but the but honestly, like well, we I get do. it. Some people don't like distortion. Like it's right. not a big deal. And for um, me, I think it's because okay. So for for my sounds, first of all, over the reason I like overdrive is because I like ACDC, and a lot of people think that those sounds are distortion. Not. But almost no distortion. Is, it's like very light drive. Right. Those are just gain. Actually, not as high as you might think. No, not at all. In a pushed amplifier. Yeah, it's those, it's very much power tube saturation. That's right. We were talking about po- tubes earlier. That's that's basically an amp turned up to the point of clipping the output, not the input, not the not the preamp tubes. So you're just right. pushing just a little bit of volume to get them to get them to crunch up. Uh, every, that's pretty much what ACDC did, right? And the, and everybody that's ever had a chance to get their hands on Angus's rig goes, "How does he get those tones that clean?" It's because he's running a humbucker, yeah, um, through a um, and he and he plays hard, Jim. Like yes, that's the and thing. He, it's his, his attack is fucking hard, and, and you'd be surprised at how low his volume is on his guitar. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing, like. People don't seem to realize that a lot of those sounds of classic records are because the tubes are different than they are today, number one. Right. And because these guys, that's that's what they did. I mean, they were raised on clean amps. Yeah. So if they wanted to get some gain, there, there were no muffs. Nobody knew what the hell that shit was. No. You know, that was like, 
we talk about rigs of the stars, you know, with like these these amplifier rigs. We were talking about Neil showed earlier and stuff that normal people just don't have. They don't they can't afford it and they and they don't need it. And it, it has to do with the fact that um, even back then there were these rigs of the stars. If you wanted a fuzz pedal, a lot of people didn't know what fuzz pedals were being used on what they were just buying whatever the hell they could get. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, so. Uh, one of the things that um, I remembered, I couldn't remember what song. I just looked it up. So Angus Young's amplifier caught fire. That's how. That's how much they were pushing it. Yeah. On the song Let with KT sixty sixes. Yeah. KT sixty sixes. And he, he and he finished the solo with the amp on fire. So I believe it. <laughs> these are, you know, there are a lot of things when we when we think about a band, we think about a a, a sound. Those of us who chase tone, and a lot of people chase tone of their, their quote-unquote heroes, you've got to remember that a lot of times that was a moment in time, like when Eddie Van Halen came up with the, with the uh, bomb, where he had the... Yeah, <laughs> the, perfect, the perfect thing. Right. It, it, and it's, it's a perfect storm, if, if, for lack of a better word. I, you know what? I, I've been chasing, and I'll admit this, I've been chasing the Jimi Hendrix Tone Dragon, the better part of my guitar playing career. Yeah. Uh, I Particularly, I love the sound of Voodoo Child, which is part of the reason why I got into Fuzz in the first place, because I wanted to know how he was making his amps sound like they were blowing up. Right? Oh. And I saw, so I get a Fuzz phase, yeah. and I have tried various Marshall imitators and Marshalls like, and I have never, not even never got close to that sound. And if you watch the live video of him, I want to say it's the one, I have two of them. One, one is at Monterey, and one is at uh, Woodstock, that are two, my two favorite ones that I watch a lot. And I get, I watch those, and he hasn't got those amps cranked as much as I thought he did. No, not at all, because he didn't want the, he didn't want, so back then the tubes were unreliable. Right. Uh, for, because the, the designs were, they were biasing the tubes really hot. Yep. So... When they get them fresh from, and I think he's using Marshalls in both of those, because right. uh, he also used high watts and yep. he also used uh, fenders, yeah. especially here in the states. Yep. So he would dial them back and then use everything else to push it. That's actually why he he favored fuzz. From my understanding, was because he didn't want to have to clip the front end of the amp so hard because he was afraid of blowing up, you know, the amp. Yeah, the six L sixes, which yeah. Marshalls in the beginning were. Um, in the states, and in, I, I think I've mentioned this before in the cast, but in the states and in um, the UK were different because the shipping of the, yeah they were breaking tubes and shipping, and it right. just didn't make sense because the L34s weren't available here. So right. all your early Marshalls in the states were six L6s, correct, or six or six V6s, six depending V6s. on the because if you had like a little eight, eighteen watt combo, it would be converted to six V6. But the thing is, um, they also had. Um, he had a lot of amps that were actually even English marshals that were converted to six L sixes because he was after the Fender tone, right? Uh, which is really funny because he's not known for that at all. I mean, no. was it like all along the watchtower is done with twins? I yep. think, and and it's like when you stop and you realize that that may be part of the reason why I'm having problems finding this sound because it didn't come out of your conventional configuration. No, it could have been a sixty eight plexi with with you know. 66s or some stupid shit like that in there. Right, right. And that's what happened. Cause so rigs of the stars. Jimmy back then was he he had enough clout, knew enough people, yep. uh, based on his reputation and stuff, that he had Roger Mayer building him stuff. Right. I mean, literally, here here's a fuzz face. He guts it, puts all new transistors in it, 
uh, tweaks the front end of it, and it's used specifically for this song. Like, yeah, and back then, guys like Hendrix, Townsend, Clapton, um, and even on the, on the bass guitar side, let's not leave the bass players out. Um, oh, Ginger Baker. Ginger Baker, and um, come on, The Who. Um, uh, uh, God, his name always escapes me. It's on the uh, tip of my tongue. He's one of my favorite bass players ever. John Entwistle. Yes. So, um, Entwistle, Entwistle and, and uh, uh, Townsend were in a volume war. Yeah. And I mean, so they kept going back to Jim Marshall. By the way, a lot of people don't think bigger about... Cabs. <laughs> a lot of think about... There's two things people don't think when they think um, bass amps, and yet those tones back then... Tubes, Marshall. That yep. Everybody thinks um, solid state, and they're thinking either Aguilar, Sun, something like that. Um, they're not thinking about the fact that back then those guys were pushing tubes. And I think didn't didn't Mesa have a tube amp for a while? I mean, a, a tube bass amp. Yeah. Well, they still make them, Jim. Yeah, I thought so. Um, and they they sound freaking incredible. And SBT's Marshall tube. bass amp sound incredible. So. I don't know if they still make them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they do, but they're not, they're not like what they were. I mean, back then they were just basically like the same as the guitar had, except that they had a, a different ba- low end. Right. And they had different they speakers. The tone stack. Right. The, I mean, the speakers are slightly different, right? In that time frame, there was high watt. I don't know who was in charge of high watt. There was um, Marshall. That means. Yep. And uh, there was Fender and uh, they were, Fender was running after um, people as was, as was um, these guys. But um, Jim Marshall was there. He was at those gigs. He was, okay, we need to tweak this. We need to, you yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, he did his R&D by listening to rock and roll. Because that was what was happening at that time. At the concert, uh, live, on stage. He's like, oh, let me get back there and tweak this. I mean, well, Jimmy think, Page. Well, think about this. Like, at the time, um, the JCM 800 came out, which was, what, like, late 70s, early early 80s. Yep. Uh who else was building an amp that was going to sound like that? Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. a high watt was trying to be clean, yep. loud well, and clean. Well, okay, so Marshall started off, as everybody knows, as a, as a Fender clone. But yeah. these guys wanted more and more to be like Hendrix, just like you're trying. Yeah. I mean, Hendrix, Hendrix was leading the way for people that were right there beside him. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. But he's like, like Richie Blackmore. I did this lesson about Richie Blackmore and some of his dynamic play, but he looks at, he's looking over at, at Jimmy and he will not admit that Jimmy is an influence on him, but you damn well know that, that, that whole scene was influenced by Jimi Hendrix, including Richie Blackmore. There was a, there was a fight, um, with, uh, um, it was the who Townsend Clapton and, and Hendrix. Now who was going to follow who? Yeah. Yeah. Monterey. They didn't want to, it was like, I've got to outdo him, which. I think created some of the greatest music of all time. Oh, sure, because they all had to work their ass off. But that's what, I mean, when you look at Hendrix sets his damn guitar on fire. Yeah, like, I, and, and, it, and, and he doesn't, so the Who had already been smashing guitars forever at that point. But when he sets his guitar on fire, he sacrifices it to the gods. I would, that was, that's the thing that makes it work. If, if you guys haven't watched that, if nothing else, look at Hendrix setting his guitar on fire, and it is the most incredible it's 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 rock it's metal it's sexual it's everything at the same time 
it's, incre- just, it's an incredible thing. And, and it, and it really set the stage for what rock was going to do in the next, you know, 30 years. Yeah. And even though his death, I think everybody started looking and going, what do we do now? You know, who do we look at now? And they were all kind of looking at each other like, geez, we, we don't even know what to do until Led Zeppelin fills the void. But, you know. Now, until that, until then, you had Clapton as God, you know, that was famously yeah. painted on a, um, you know, right overpass or something like that or underpass. Which he, by, by the way, denies. Yeah. He, yeah. And maybe he says, it's, I'm not God. Yeah. Maybe it's. Um, bullshit that it was ever painted. Who knows? Um, you've got Townsend. I now just like you chase Hendrix. There are people that tra- that chase Clapton. They chase oh, yeah, no, Townsend's sure. tone. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and and we're still doing it. How how many years like Jim? That's not my generation, right? That's like that's two generations, four before. generations ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when, so when you think about it, those are the my dad. <clears throat> yeah, was, you know, the 19 year old listening to Hendrix, you know? Yeah. And that's my point. So we don't have anybody timeless like that now, you know, where we're still looking back. Like, that's like, that's like when you're, when you were a kid, some guy was listening to, uh, you know, I'm trying to think like, um, like Duke Ellington, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. And so when I was a kid, so, um, I'm old enough to remember Hendrix dying, and I'm old enough to because re- that was seventy seventy one. Yeah. Um, and uh, of course, we uh, we lost Janis Joplin, we lost Jimi Hendrix, we lost and Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison, we all lost Mama Cass, we lost all these greats. Um, and uh, the Beatles broke up, and yeah. all that stuff. I remember all that compressed into that was all my, that. It all happened by seventy four, right? All that. I mean, the Beatles broke up in what seventy two. I think so. 71 or 72, I can't remember. Because um, the last two albums were out of order, if I remember right, because Let It Be, um, Spectre was still working with the Wall of Sound and all that crap. Yeah. So <clears throat> I remember all that. And the one thing is that, so then the teenagers, my father was my father was 19 when I was born, so um, in, the, in the early 60s. So the um, teenagers I hung out with were um, old, they had the records. You know, we sat and we listened to those records, and and so the the, the fury was still there. That and and guys were still trying to, like you said, they were trying to work it all in. You had Kiss, and we had uh, so Kiss Kiss dates a long ways back. I mean, a lot yeah. of people don't understand that Kiss actually dates back early seventy. I mean, yeah, like seventy four, seventy five records. I'm not talking yeah. about when Kiss first got together. I'm talking about their record, <clears throat> and um, so they they were right after that. Yeah, and I had those records, and I'd sit and listen to them. And like you said, um, uh, you know, I remember going to school and everybody going, "Oh, you got to pick up Frampton Comes Alive. You got to pick up Led Zeppelin Four. You got to pick up." So that's my time, you know. ACDC, they were brand. Oh, look, Highway to Hell. This is this. Which is funny because you grew up in the era of fuzz, Jim. I like know. you grew up around this stuff, and you're like, I don't want. But but that but that actually explains why you're not interested in it. No, Jim, it does. I think we just hit. I feel like your therapist now. We just hit a major breakthrough. Uh-oh. I think we figured out your fuzz problem, Jim. What is because that? all of those guys didn't want to use fuzz. Like they were doing they it because they had no choice. Right. So right. they're reaching, especially guys like Clapton specifically, are reaching towards this overdriven amp sound that they can't achieve because number one, the microphones weren't good enough yet. 
you know, to do it in the studio with a hundred watt head. And like, there's all these things. If you ever want a good read, Eddie Kramer talks about recording Jimi Hendrix's hundred watt stack for oh, the first yeah. time. And like when they brought it in, he was like, you're, you're serious. I'm going to be recording this. You know, he's getting a ribbon mic out and, the, and there's a freaking super lead in front of him. He's going, I don't think I can mic this with a ribbon mic, you know, like, <laughs> okay, no, so, you can't. <laughs> so famously around the time that I was oh, 14 to 16, somewhere in there, this band comes out called Boston. Yeah. Tom Schultz. Tom Schultz. Is it really was, a band or is it just Tom Schultz? It's the Tom Schultz show, right? Yeah, that's what but, it is. Well, it was the Tom Schultz and, and uh, um, Brad Delp show. Oh, uh, you cracked. Yeah. So <clears throat> a lot of people don't know. Some of those guitars are Brad Delp. Yeah, but um, uh, I would I would guess that it's probably less than ten percent though. Yeah, probably. So here's Tom Scholes, right? He comes out and he goes, "Look at this!" And he's got this wall of sound. He was very um, Specter, Phil Specter, in his wall of sound. Yeah, he changed the way we record guitar, folks. He did. If it wasn't for Tom Scholes, I'm sure somebody would have done it later. Everybody would still be recording, like when um, the Stones or the the. Um, uh, Led Zeppelin and so on and so forth. When they would rent a mansion, they would they yeah. would rent a mansion. They'd go to you know the Rolling Stones. It yeah, was Mick there, were no, there were no permanent recording studios that could handle a band, right? That, so they go to they go to Mick Jagger. Hey, I need to rent your mansion, and they would rent it for like a year, and they, yeah. and they would you know or um, uh, Page bought famously that one mansion that was Headley Grange, Headley Grange, right? And it and it was supposedly. It's Alistair, it was Alistair Crowley's house. That's right, Alistair Crowley. That's what I was trying to think of. And so, uh, Mr. Crowley. Yep. That was Mr. Crowley, So yes, for was. those who don't know. So, um, he, uh, it, it, you set up drums on one end of the mansion, and you set up mics all the way down the hall, and you pick the one that you yeah. And well, so the- that's why, uh, some of that phasing... That wasn't just, that was a, a phaser effect. That was them going. You know what? I like this mic and this, and these two yeah. together sound really cool. We'll call it yeah. phasing. <laughs> yeah. Well, then they were just, they were messing with the phase. Right. Like I think the guys, the engineers knew enough about that they, they would call it. But you know, the, the famous story that I like is uh, Machine Head, Deep Purple. Yeah. They rented that hotel, and they were literally one guy was down at one end of the hall, and one was at the other, and they set up mirrors so they could see each other. Right. Because. They had it. They had it set up so they couldn't even see each other. Which, which for Deep Purple, if you know the personalities of the band, that might have been best if they yes. could just turn the mirror around and not see each other. Blackmore is on the the cover of this issue. I, I'm surprised this issue of uh, Guitar World. Blackmore Blackmore is on the cover. But, I, um, I, he almost never does press, which I is know, that's what I'm saying. It's like what? But uh, you know, it's I've seen more pictures of Bigfoot. Yeah, he, well, he's getting older, and I think he's I think he's mellowing a little bit. He still has his Yoko Ono girl yeah, that's uh, going around whispering yeah. in his ear everywhere. But but um, these guys famously they're sitting there they want to, and then the place sets on fire, and you're like, ah, oh, it's on fire. Dun, 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 oh, that was uh, no, that was because they saw Frank Zappa, and they yeah, saw Frank Zappa, Zappa the place show burned down. Yeah, yeah, but that was their, Yeah, but it wasn't their hotel burning down. No, it no, was, no, it was Frank Zappa. At right. What, it was a like casino or something. Huh? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, was it a house? Yeah. Was it one of those um, floating casinos or something? Yeah, but it was right there on the coast like of because uh, yeah. it was in the Riviera. Yeah. So uh, it, it's just funny because they they go back and they record that song that's about the place burning down. 
Yeah, yeah. And, well, and they knew they had it, so they were almost done with that record, and they needed like two more songs. So yep. that's why they were talking about Swiss time running out and all that. Uh, it was in Switzerland, not France. That's right. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, man. So yeah, as far as your fuzz thing goes, like I think I think your perception of fuzz is tainted by the fact that you could hear what these guys were trying to do. And so like you've tempered a lot of your musical thoughts on, hey, I can achieve this because this stuff is readily available now. And I don't think like, honestly, if, if if Hendrix were still alive, he wouldn't be using a fuzz factory. Like he would be straight up, it would probably just be loud ass amps. If he's if he was even playing clean. It wasn't even playing distorted. He might even be playing clean at this point. Uh, it's, so, it's just too much to guess, you know? Right. But it's but it's highly... Um, it, it, the question is whether or not it's useful. And that's, that's why with Dave, it's very useful. And with me, not so much. And yeah. It's not, I, because, it's not because I'm a great guitar player, Dave's a great guitar player, I'm a sucky guitar player, Dave's a sucky guitar player. It's because... We have different tones in mind. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When we go to recording. We're trying to achieve different things, too. I mean, I, when I kick on my fuzz, and I've, I've told Jim this already, but I don't use it all the time. Like, it's a sparing thing. I use it when I want the nuclear option. And so I want that grit and that grime, and I want my signal to be almost unrecognizable. Now, something and, I've got to admit, lately my gain pedals have been always on. Yeah, that's – and I that, – that's Unless surprising. I'm doing like a lot more '80s metal type stuff. Yep. So. Unless I'm doing like a um, acoustic almost uh, sound, my gain pedal's on from start to finish, which yeah, means that's... I need another gain pedal in my in my train. Um, <laughs> hello, Wampler. When you get done with my pedal, I'm looking forward to getting it. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, and I'm hoping that's my always on gain. I'm hoping that when he sends my blue driver, my blues driver back, and it's you know got Wampler's mod in it. That well, I got a ki- I got a king of tone coming soon. Uh, they haven't awesome. sent me my invoice for that yet. I've been on the list for a year and a half. I fully intend on flipping it. I don't uh, think it'll take a year and a half. I'm I'm expecting to hear something from Wampler any day now. Oh He's no, no, I'm just saying. Right? No, I'm just saying my king of tone because the, the wait list is like a year and a half out. When I get it, I'll let you try it out. That would be uh, awesome. I don't, I don't plan on keeping it. I mean, it's it's it, they, I it's can flip, flip it for hundred bucks. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a so. flip, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I just don't need it. When I ordered it, I needed it. Now I don't need it. So, so what's the King of Tone? So, tell me what the King of Tone is going to do for me. Uh, it's it's a boost drive pedal. Um, so it's it's two. It's a boost and a drive in the same pedal, basically. Two sides are. I think they're identical. I don't know a whole lot about it. I know it's supposed to be like this iconic overdrive. A lot of guys say, "Oh, it's the best transparent overdrive you can get." Listen, if I kick on a fucking pedal that's transparent, we have a problem. What is the problem? It shouldn't be transparent. <laughs> well, first of all, okay, why am I paying a pile of money for a volume for something control? I can't hear? Yeah, I mean <laughs> that. I mean that in and of itself, that term. I know people make fun of it all the time, but I literally do hate it. Yeah, it's it, it's I. I saw something today. Fuzz. Said, a transparent fuzz. What the fuck? Yeah. I saw something today that said the Tumnus is a transparent drive. The Tumnus so, is a transparent yeah. drive. But no, it is because they consider the and, and okay, so clone clones. I've had a clone clone. I think I've had more than one now. Um, uh, to be honest with you, people are like, oh, it's transparent. That fucking pedal is so far from transparent; it's unbelievable. You can hear everything. Like it, it changes the nuances of everything when you plug through, plug into it. Well, transparent, my ass. If I wanted transparency 
and I just wanted more volume, I just turned the vamp up. Yeah. How about that? Who would have thought? How about that? <laughs> or or tur- turn the amp gain up, you know? Right. Right. That's why, is, why are we looking at transparency? God, we're not. We're yeah. looking to color the signal. I mean, exactly. nobody. So the, the Timmy, the yeah. Tim. Okay, yeah. it's based on a tube screamer. It's got a lot of mods, and it's a highly modified tube screamer. But they consider it a transparent overdrive. What is the tube screamer known for? Not being fucking transparent. That's for sure. Oh, it's no. known for cutting the bass and boosting the mids. the mids. And if you don't like that, you have the wrong fucking pedal. <laughs> I was looking at a tra- uh, at a tube screamer because I was wondering if I got a tube have- screamer. Get the well, tube I'm supposed screamer. to send you one. Oh, that's right. Oh, you know what? We're going to trade when we're in uh, in, in a couple that's, of months. I trade. I'm going to give you the Mac monitor. I'm, I'm going to bring. I'm going to bring you a bunch of pedals when I come to just to try out. So, like, I got my fuzzes. I found my trifecta yesterday. Uh, I it, I'll give you the rundown of what I got right now. I got a Barber trifecta. I got two Pelotars. Uh, I've got. Um, you got two Pelotars. Yeah, I have a black and a gold. Uh, the black one is uh, kind of tweaked. The one I'm looking at is gold. As you can see, it's it's in pristine condition. Uh, I have the only black one in existence, Jim. Oh, my God. So um, <laughs> I got lucky. He sent me one cause yeah. for Christmas. It was a Christmas thing. Awesome. Uh, and then I have um, – so I have the trifecta, which is kind of rare now. They don't make them anymore. That's from Barber Electronics. And then I have uh, I have the red Jimi Hendrix fuzz face. Which, in my opinion, is one of the better fuzz faces. Oh, okay. um, I was playing. I was playing with it yesterday, and I was like, "Yeah, I really like this thing. It's a silicon fuzz, but it sounds germanium, and it has a lot of the Band of Gypsies type sound. Wow! So machine, think machine gun. Yeah. So anybody, everybody, we're coming up to the end here. We'd like to yep. remind you that we got the string challenge. So we'll be posting some stuff here in the next few days on that. Um, I've been real busy. Like I said, I'm buying a house and. A lot of things that would have been done are kind of slipping. They're getting way late. This week I'm going to be out at, uh, I'm going to be in Washington. So uh, I will be gone pretty much all week, Jim, which means that not shit's getting done. That means that I'll be mixing these. Um, No, I'm I'm mixing them tonight, actually. Um, The other thing, folks, is that uh, um, don't forget uh, that the string challenge is going on. There will be prizes. Yep. Um, the other thing is uh, um, that uh, we'll be at Gear Fest. If you guys yeah. want to say hi and just you know give us a high five, we'll slap me in the face for insulting your favorite pedal. No, Jim, you suck. I, I don't have to slap you in the face. I'll just say it right now. You suck. I'm, no, I'm, I'm awful. <laughs> don't give a shit, man. If you don't like fuzz, that's just more for me. <laughs> exactly. That's just more fuzz for you. Now, when we come back, the next episode, we're going to talk about cabinets. Because everybody knows I got fired up last week about cabinets. So be prepared. We're going to talk cabinets. We're going to talk about um, some other stuff like stage volume and and yeah. why fuzz is so important to some people and not others. So we're not going to talk anymore about fuzz. So thanks for checking us out. I've been Jim. I've been Dave. <laughs> and we've been the Practical Guitarist.